This is how we overcome We're moving out Keep us up Reaching to the world Arms open Arms open Yeah This is how we practice Great well, welcome back to Crazy Face Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. And I'm Steve. So, friends, we are in the last episode of our Advent series for 2023, The Waiting Church, where we have been exploring what it looks like practically for us to be living in intentionality as we wait for the coming of Jesus again. Uh, so what? where are we going this week? Well, um, today we thought we would take um, the necessary, maybe difficult look at how to be people of intentionality and waiting in a time that sometimes it feels like the church, either lowercase c or capital C, um, can feel like it's in a, it's a time of decline or of things not being the way we remember that they used to be, whether those memories were accurate or not, or uh, seen through the, the lens and the fog of nostalgia. Um this this sort of zooms our conversation out beyond just the bounds of four Sundays of Advent to be a little bit bigger about in this era in history for a lot of people in the way they look at what Christianity looks like in the world. They remember a time, maybe early in the post-war mid-20th century when things were booming and congregations were being planted left and right and churches were growing. And this feels like a time that is not that, that there are some places where Christianity is growing. And there's a lot of places in at least the United States where it is changing or struggling or shrinking or not like what people remember. And to be a, an intentional people, especially an intentional, not panicky and waiting like in a calm, practical, useful way, that can be hard. So that's where we thought the conversation needs to go. Um, and I guess I'll say from the outset, this seems like a really germane conversation to have. But what does it look like? <laughs> what, what, what does it mean to be people who face down realities of decline without... Uh, lying to ourselves and saying no everything is fine but also not panicking and like you know jumping into the water because we think the ship is sinking i think the hardest thing for me as a pastor of a very small congregation um is acknowledging and having everyone acknowledge that we are not in control hmm. and that this is god's church not mm -hmm. our church and so like oftentimes it's like you know, like you, like you've been saying, Steve, in our panic, we often want to be the ones in control and we want to be the ones steering the ship and we want to be doing all of the things in an attempt to save the ship. That is the church. Yeah. Um, and that might not be what we're called to do. Yeah. And that's yeah. sometimes really difficult to say, okay, no, we have to stop and we have to like reflect and talk to god and see if we can discern what god wants us to do not what we want us to do but what do we what does god want us to do and sometimes we don't like those answers yeah 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 it's interesting as you, as you describe that i think briefly about like how often in paul's letters and here's somebody who is in the position i suppose of like the um you know 
quintessential mission in a developer and visionary of the early church. Um, and yet, like how often in his letters, there's this acknowledgement of stuff that is not in their power and not in, even in his control as Paul the Apostle. You know, he'll write to a congregation mm -hmm. and say, well, here's what I was planning to do, but they put me under house arrest, so I can't be there. Or, um, <laughs> you know, I was planning to go here, but the Holy Spirit prevented us from going there. Or I was planning on going to Spain, but mission priorities are we got to take this famine relief back to Jerusalem in the opposite direction. Um, and that as, as much as sometimes people talk about, oh, if only we could get back to the visionary missionary fervor of the first century Acts church, like to actually read the stories out of that time, they were well aware of how much wasn't in their control. And instead of panicking about it, it was, yep, so we're going to deal with the things we can control and we're going to leave the things that are not in our power into God's hands. So I'm going to acknowledge all of these things that we're saying is going to be easier to say than mm -hmm. do, right? Yeah. Like um, as part of my role as dean of a conference, um, I am often the one that gets to talk to congregations first and like introduce the idea to them of like, is it time to close? Mm -hmm. like god calling you to close your church mm -hmm. um your congregation and um we we have the very firm stance of the synod doesn't close churches but we will walk with you mm -hmm. in that discernment and during those practical steps like we are with you and we will mm -hmm. pray for you and we will do everything in our power to make this as easy and as painless as possible but like, obviously, we can't make it completely painless because those members have so many memories and emotions tied up into that building and into that space and into that community mm -hmm. that it is a painful thing. It's 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 a grief filled thing to close a congregation. Yeah. Um, but we're going to do everything that we can to, like, walk with them in those moments. Yeah. And it's it, it's not easy when decline reaches that point where death is on the horizon because yeah. nobody wants to see a congregation close but by being at a place where you can have those conversations instead of it just needing to happen because you're out of money or because there is only like three people left or zero people left <laughs> if the last person has died it also gives the congregation an actual chance to say goodbye it mm -hmm. gives the congregation a chance to decide some things like about where they want their assets to go but it's 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 not easy and like yeah. i don't think anybody is going to ever say yes it's easy to close a yeah. congregation because it, it, it's a type of death yeah yeah mm -hmm. and that that parallel then suggests to me that just like there are times terrible times, but just like there are times when medical technology makes it possible to sustain somebody's uh, heartbeat and lungs, but that person is gone, you know, like in, in, in times of brain death and where like basically medical technology is prolonging death. They're not really sustaining life anymore, but that person's death is now being drawn out that there are times you can drag your feet in congregational life and well, we can squeeze it out for another six months. But like at that point, like we'll, we'll we have lost the chance to pick things on our terms, but that, that intentional conversation 
sometimes means, okay, we could have ended things at a later date, but this is the moment that allow us to celebrate or to pick things on our terms or to, there's a mission start somewhere else that could use our resources. Um, and that, that makes that conversation hopeful rather than just prolonging death. I think it also gives us a moment to also acknowledge that with, where there is death, there is also resurrection. Yeah, yeah. And new life. And I think that that is true for congregations as well. Yeah. But that new life will probably look radically different than the congregation that has died. In my mind, uh, I always find myself picturing um, a dandelion when we talk about congregational life and their life cycles. And that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like I think there's a there's this moment early on in the book of Acts where there's this uh, pretty heavy crackdown on the church in Jerusalem uh, right around the time that Stephen gets stoned to death and that like scatters everybody out of that initial Jerusalem community out into the surrounding areas. And in some ways it feels like this could have been the end of the fledgling Christian movement because they all get scattered and there's no more, they never come back to be the one Jerusalem church. I mean, there's still Christians in Jerusalem, but by that point things are fragmented and and yet, the way the book of Acts tells it, this is like the dandelion tough getting blown and now seeds are scattered in all sorts of different directions. So that very moment that looks destructive is also the very thing that leads to the creation of a whole host of new church plants in different places. And it didn't start because somebody had a vision quest and said, God's leading us to go plant a bunch of churches. It was death. It was a crackdown and persecution that led that to happen. Um, and I think the way Luke tells the story in Acts, he sees God brought this good thing out of this moment of what very clearly looked like the death of a congregation. Um, and if we can see that in the DNA of our church's story in the New Testament, then uh, death and resurrection isn't just a Jesus only thing. It's a congregation and church history thing, too. And I think just because we talk about decline and even we talk about the possible death of a congregation doesn't mean that that's the the end all be all right like my first congregation my ordination project was try to do i decided to try to bring about revitalization to the church it's a smaller church um not itty bitty but like 20 30 people on a weekend and we worked through the book of nehemiah and we ended that whole process of studying and reading and praying together saying that that church could no longer afford a pastor at my salary Mm mm-hmm and so they went to a what was a local licensed pastor who happens to still be there seven years later. Um, and at first I thought that was a failure. Then I realized when I was presenting my project, it wasn't. It was just realizing, okay, this is how this church gets to continue. Mm-hmm. Even though it looked like, and honestly, when I first went there, I thought very early on, I talked to my district superintendent. I said, this church is going to close soon, isn't it? Like I was serving two churches and they kind of wanted to combine them at the time. They're still not combined. In fact, now they're two different denominations. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think when we have the hard conversations, yes, if you're to the point of having that hard conversation, there is a good, there's a good likelihood that death and hopefully resurrection through that death mm-hmm. is going to happen. But maybe there's some revitalization that can happen in the midst of it too. Because we've talked about that and realized, oh, wait, this is where we're at. Yeah, maybe things need to change. And I think I some. Think, go ahead. I think that there's several different kinds of death that we might be talking about while we're talking about the church in decline, mm-hmm. because 
yes, there is the death of when a congregation closes. Like, that's a super final type mm-hmm. of death, right? Uh, but also, there's that new life of, like, those assets can be used in new ways by different ministries and have actual ministry instead of just maintaining a church building. Mm-hmm. But there's also, I think, smaller deaths. Uh, like, the death of realizing that this ministry in this congregation is no longer sustainable, so that ministry has to end but now we have more time and energy and resources that we can mm-hmm. pour towards another type of ministry. Sure. There is, um, you know, I think that there's the small kind of death of when a congregation realizes that they alone cannot sustain a full-time pastor. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when they actually like realize that and embrace that, I think that there becomes then a whole new room for a different type of ministry whether that's partnering with another congregation to sustain a full-time minister or, um, you know, a part-time minister who's bivocational. Like, there's a whole different, like, world of opportunities that has suddenly opened. Mm -hmm. But you have to first let go of that expectation of being able to have a full-time pastor just by yourself. Sure. And... I guess I think that also means there can be the kind of even I guess to me even scarier kind of death of a congregation is when they make the choice to hold on to the edifice or the structure and everything that's alive and vibrant people dies on the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, like there are there are churches that basically exist simply to support themselves for the upkeep of a, you know, a, a, a building Um and they've ceased to do ministry to their community or care for their neighbors or do any kind of thing that, you know, like when, when they're, you're, you're just there to keep a building uh, around that feels like something sadder has died uh, e- even worse than people continue and they'll let go of the building and close and they'll go to different congregations or something. And it's an intentional choice. How do we not become that? How do we not become like the zombie church or like the, uh, like the mm-hmm. husk of the cicada that, you know, you find, you know, and the insect has left that shell behind. Um, sometimes in church life, we settle for that. Um, and I guess I even think sometimes the choice uh, uh, change direction, even if it looks like it's a direct departure from the past, sometimes that's a choice for life, even if it means change. Like, um, you could lament and say, how come we're not building gigantic stone edifices and cathedrals like they did in the Middle Ages? And how come we're not spending fortunes on stained glass and papal crowns? Um, or you could say, wait a second, maybe that was a not the a faithful direction to go in the first place. If we've got hungry neighbors, they can't eat stained glass, but we could use the you know resources so that our neighbors don't go hungry and we don't need a golden crown for our bishops to wear or something like that. And like the, those choices, yep, they could be changed and it's different from what an earlier era did. But instead of seeing it all as it's bad news because it's not the same as the past, it could be this is a chance for us to get some clarity on where we should have been spending our resource or time anyway. So instead of lamenting that we aren't building cathedrals like across Europe in the medieval era, we could be saying that may be not what the need is right now. And so it's not a failure to stop building giant stone cathedrals. It might be a moment of clarity about what we really are called to do. Are there things for each of you in your ministry life when you find yourself like, I don't know, and I don't know how much this this ever stares you in the face, but like, are there times when you feel like sort of like man overwhelmed by whether it's in your congregation or just sort of like the wider 
like malaise that sometimes feels like it hangs over organized Christianity? Like what, what helps pull you out of those times? What helps you to be like, okay, how, how do I keep moving on? And how do I keep facing this is the world and time in which I live? What keeps you going? So um, there is a quote that I've held dearly for many, many years. And I know I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but it's been a while. Um, it's by um, St. Pacios of Athos. And um, he he had this um, excellent analogy of there's a field that has both flowers and garbage in it. And if you ask the fly where to find um, the flowers, the fly won't be able to tell you where to find the flowers, but will be able to tell you exactly where all the garbage is. But if you ask the honeybee, where's the garbage? Can't answer it. He only knows where the flowers are. And, um, you know, he saying, um, uh, you know, the saint said, be more like the honeybee. Look intentionally for the flowers, not for the garbage. And so I think that it is very much true in this time when it feels like the church is in decline, that if we spend all of our time pointing out where all of the places are, how we have declined over the past couple of decades, we miss out on the growth that we have had. And, you know, the growth might not necessarily be in the number of people sitting in worship on Sunday morning, the growth might be that we have more successfully reached out to people through the internet than we imagined we ever would have, that we have figured out how to use technology to spread the word of God, that we have figured out, you know, X, Y, and Z, um, that we have been able to engage more in our communities over these past couple of decades than, say, when we had bigger congregations, like people in worship, where we were mostly just a social club. Like there are, there is growth in the church. And I think we can, I think it is beneficial for us to, yes, be aware of where the garbage is because otherwise we won't know where to pick it up. But it's also good to be aware of where the flowers are. Where is God active in our churches? And where is God active outside of our churches? And how can we join God in that activity? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How about for you, Erica? Are there things that help you to continue to have hope in times where it can feel hopeless? This might sound a little strange, but it's in the changing of the seasons. And not the the outside seasons, not winter, spring, summer, fall seasons. Um, the seasons of the church. You know, with every new season of the church, like I, I mentioned in the last episode, with with Advent, you know, I'm asking my churches to pray for God's vision for our church. Um, in January, we're going to pray for how we can become better disciples ourselves and make more disciples for Jesus. Um, for me, I see opportunities with each season of the church year for different opportunities to be the church I, I try to challenge the congregation to something new with each season of the church um and so that you know that keeps my mind going like okay what so this is what we're doing for advent what do we do for christmas tide what do we do in lent like what's that thing that 
it's going to grow us deeper and and grow us as a church like sarah said not necessarily numerically but like grow our mission as a church out into the wider world what can we do it's hard to do stuff in western pennsylvania in the winter outside the church besides collect food for the food bank like you know but you know vacation bible school is a summer thing and, and like those are just ways that we can reach out to our community um in each season of the church year and and grow ourselves and hopefully grow our community if not the physical membership of the church grow the community in christ so anything for you steve um, well, as I've been listening to you, I guess to both of you, there there are two things that have that I, I guess I find myself coming back to, um, and one is, feels like it's in some ways it's a piggyback on your pointing to the the whole the flow of the church seasons. But for me, I have been thinking throughout this series in particular how the the two what you might say are like focal points of seasons in the church's year: Advent that sort of points us toward Christmas, and Lent that points us toward Holy Week and Easter. In some ways, both of those are seasons that are about powerlessness. And like to to mm -hmm. wait is to some degree to admit there's stuff I can't make happen on my timetable. As we've been talking about, you can do something productive with the waiting. But in my impatience, I wouldn't want to wait around for the bread dough to be ready to bake. I'd be like, snap my finger, it's done. And there's a certain powerlessness. And nope, I have to let things happen on their own time. And at the heart of Advent is both the it's not in my power to pick when Jesus comes again. And the promise of Messiah in the first place was people waiting for when God moves, God's going to do it when God's good and ready. You can't make it happen any faster, not at the point of a sword or not with your religious purity rules, none of it. God's going to do it when God's good and ready. And I even think, too, that Lent at its best is what points us toward God's embrace of powerlessness at a cross. That it's sort of what we're called to do is to be the disciples gathered around at the foot of the cross, like Mary and John and the other women there at the cross. Um, letting God do what God does to save us, not about uh, if we do enough spiritual stuff, then it'll save the world, but about when when we got nothing, uh, that God accomplishes amazing things. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess for me, that means then at points in our congregations or the wider church's life where it feels like we're powerless, that might be at the point that we're stripped of the illusion that we're ever really in charge in the first place. Um, and that maybe we real quickly in times that we think are successful, um, turn success into an idol instead of holding on to Jesus. And it's in the moments when everything else gets stripped away that there's clarity of it was Jesus that really was our focus or should have been our focus all along. Um, and, and I guess I think that, um, that that also gives me clarity about what do we do, whether it looks successful or not. There's some things that we got to be ready to go out of business over as church, you know, that like there's going to be times where it seems more popular to um, sell self-help rather than the notion of a God who finds us in our weakness and loves us as we are rather than mm -hmm. telling us how to get, you know, fixed to be acceptable. There's going to be times when it's more marketable to treat the church as this exclusive club for the VIPs rather than this ragtag band of anybody's uh, and everybody's, but to say it's worth going out of business over being Jesus kind of community um, that welcomes everybody instead of an elite, you know, century club. Um, and in that in those moments, then it's like, okay, well, the, the being faithful means risking that we won't be popular, and that's okay. It, it'd be better to be holding on to the reckless audaciousness of Jesus uh, than something that looks more marketable. Um, 
So I guess those things give me hope in times like that as well, even if what we get isn't what, what we expected. Plenty of people weren't mm -hmm. expecting a baby in a manger, and yet we decided, nope, that was the thing that we needed. So speaking of babies in mangers, the day is coming soon when we'll all be celebrating, and that means the next time we come to you, we'll be celebrating our own Christmas tide celebrations here on Crazy Faith Talk. So join us then. See y'all.